All right, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. This is Nate. And this is Shannon. And we are today somewhere around episode 10. And we are excited because uh, Shannon has brought in a friend. And I'm going to let Shannon do the intros since you all know each other so well. Yeah, so it's actually Reverend Angie McCarty, which sounds kind of weird to say because I knew her way back when she was a seminary student. Um, But I'm going to just give you a little interesting fun fact about Angie, uh, and especially about Angie and I's friendship and how it all kind of got started. Uh, And then I'm going to let Angie do the talking for herself because, as I said, she's a trained theologian and ordained Methodist minister, and she's just a wealth of knowledge on culture and sexuality and spirituality and all that jazz but i have to admit that one of our earliest experiences in life involved <laughs> carpet burn and jello wrestling would you like for me to explain <laughs> please uh, please, yes, explain. please explain this sounds that. so good <laughs> okay so she and i we led summer camps together i was the dean and she was my co-dean and um, in preparation for summer camps, we had talked about, well, the theme that year was um, J-E-S-U-S, but we spelled the letters out the same way that you would spell J-E-L-L-O in all the different colors of Jello. And so Jello was kind of our theme for the week. We had Jello balls and we had all kinds of, you know, just Jello desserts and all of that. But of course, the focus was on J-E-S-U-S. Well, we were planning uh, about, you know, what type of activities that we could do during the free time. And we decided that to have a big kiddie pool full of jello for a jello wrestling match would be <laughs> like the ultimate youth group activity. It's so ultimate. I never got to go to Methodist church camp, but now I'm really wishing we, I had gone. We were, I had Ryan, gone. we're in the wrong denomination, man. I know. We, we, were were in, we had to go to the swimming pool wearing a t-shirt and swimming... <laughs> At a separate time than the girls. All right, sorry, interrupting. So, no, that's okay. So the thing that would draw them to the pool is Angie and I were going to have the first round be between the two of us. Now, oh we do not think of like thong bikini or anything like that. It's new. We had nothing. Yeah, we were we were in we were in yeah shorts or over. I think even overall shorts and t-shirts. Um, <laughs> But the mistake that I made was I made Angie really mad before we ever got into that jello pool. And I have to tell you the funny story about how I made her mad. Okay. Um, Okay. So one day as she and I are planning summer camps together, we were in my pastor's office and we were talking about the Myers-Briggs personality test and how some people are a P and some people are a J. J meaning they're very structured and organized, P meaning they're very artistic and free-flowing and kind of cluttery. And so she walked over to use the phone on my pastor's desk. And all of a sudden I hear her say, oh my gosh, this must be Richard's penis. And I was like, what are you talking about? I I couldn't imagine what she was looking at that she would say such a thing. And then it hit me. She meant P dash Ness. His his scattered, always running late, that kind of stuff. His disorganized desk. Yes. Versus his J-ness. And so we got a big kick out of that. But I, I had to out her at one of the staff summer camp meetings of just telling her, uh, or just telling on her about how she had made a comment about my pastor's penis. And she, 
she and I started wrestling uh, because she was trying to put her hand over my mouth and we wound up in the floor and she drugged me across the carpet on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> this is a full on scroll. Yeah. And so I, ha I had this bright red strawberry on my forehead, her trying to keep me quiet. And so by the time I got her into that jello pool, she just had so much tension built up. I did not stand a chance. Now, never mind that she's like five years younger than me and much stronger. But um, <laughs> she beat my butt royally, both on the carpet and in the Jello wrestling pool. But here's the cool thing that I love about Angie: she's not afraid to wrestle with the hard stuff, not just the slippery Jello stuff. She she has really been wrestling with all this sex education stuff for the past 25 years since she and I have been working together. So I was really delighted to have the opportunity to interview. Well, Shannon, I think that was the best introduction I've ever heard, ever, <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> that is, that is the best, wow. Not only, not only can she wrestle in Jell-O, she can wrestle through the real issues. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. From wow. Jell-O wrestler to United Methodist pastor and sexpert, Angie McCarty. So okay. I can't wait to hear what y'all think about the conversation that we had. All right, let's listen to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Touch Podcast, where today I get the privilege of interviewing a very old friend. Not that she is old, but that we have a very old friendship. Our friendship spans back 25 years. Yes. To the earliest days of Shannon Etheridge Ministries, and I met Angie Bass. Well, Angie Bass at the time, now she is Reverend Angie McCarty, but I met her when she and I were at summer camp together, and I wound up reeling her in as my assistant dean because I just wanted to work with her. I just thought she was like the coolest thing on the planet, and not only did I reel her in as queen or princess dean when I was the queen dean, yeah. and queen and princess dean. We also um, did a lot of abstinence education stuff together because when I started Best Ministries, Biblical Education for Sexual Temptation, teaching kids how to have the best sex by waiting until marriage, I, <laughs> I knew that I would love to have Angie on board as one of our speakers. And so she did that. And like me, her journey has taken her to some interesting places and she has evolved. So she is here with us today to talk about her evolution process and what that has looked like and um, just the interesting epiphanies that she has had about healthy sexuality through her work as a pastor. So Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. So talk to me, girl, like when was the first time that you realized that maybe the whole abstinence education movement had gone, maybe it was a movement that had gone too far? It was really a combination of things like God works mostly in circumstances, you know, several things happening all at the same time. And um, as a pastor in, in Arizona, which was far more progressive theologically than, um, than Texas, where I was serving when you and I were working with best ministries together, um, just circumstances and, uh, and people, um, who challenged my thoughts a little bit, not only in their practice, but also in their theology and how they read scripture less literally and in a more progressive way um, was probably the first 
the, the first circumstance that caused me to reevaluate and enter this time of, of really, um, of really critically reflecting on the message that we had sent in our abstinence education. So people, um, and then second, I started on a journey of really researching what the abstinence education movement had done in particular to young women in inflicting shame and an unhealthy view of their bodies, um, and and really the pressure, the un um, the unreciprocated and unequal pressure that is placed on women rather than men to keep their virginity mm. to to be whole. Um, and while certainly you and I did spread the same message to to boys and girls, um, all of whom were in the adolescent phase of life, um, I, I think that, that what the research has shown is that women receive that message different than men, or I should say girls receive that, that message differently than boys do. Yeah, how, how so? I, I agree wholeheartedly, but why is that, do you think? Um, fundamentally, women are wired to, um, I believe, reflect differently upon themselves and what the message of abstinence education has done is taught girls that they are not worthy if they are not sexually whole and pure on their wedding day. So one of the things I'll remind you that we did so very well was the rose skit, where we would take the rose and talk about how God has given us this, this beautiful gift of our sexuality and every time we give ourselves to another person, a petal of that rose is taken off. And we, um, we become broken when those relationships become broken after we have offered ourselves sexually. And implicit in that are a couple of things. First of all, our society views female sexuality as the giver piece of the relationship. And the, the men, the male component as the pursuer or the taker. taker. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that skit says, women, you are giving yourselves, you are giving this precious rose to another person. And every time you do that, you become a little more broken. No and wonder women hesitate not only to have sex before marriage, but I think that it also causes them to hesitate to even have sex at all. Yes, yes. And it also inhibits women from talking about sexual trauma because if they think at all that they are broken through this sexual trauma, which they are, um, they're hesitant to talk about it because of the shame that is associated with being broken. They don't want to be perceived as broken because yes. then someone might not want them. Their sexual capital now declines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. I remember when you sent me the rose skit, I was so excited because I just thought it was so brilliant. But then you also followed up a couple years later with an email of like, don't use that anymore. Like, <laughs> have you thought about how degrading and shaming it actually is? It's like, I hadn't. But now that you pointed out, I right. think. I can't right. that. Yeah. And while we always included an element of sexual restoration and God's forgiveness and secondary virginity 
I feel like that's almost an afterthought in abstinence education because what we really want is for people to not get to the place where they need that forgiveness. So if you've already made that mistake, then God can restore you to fullness. But, but that wasn't the primary message. Yes. yes. And we never went back and taped that rose back together. We never showed it visually. Yeah, we couldn't. Yeah. Right. Whereas the human spirit is far more resilient yes. than a fragile rose. Than a broken rose. Yeah, we, we were not focusing on the resiliency and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Bring true and deep healing. Um, so yes. All right. So this particular season with Touch Podcast, we've kind of evolved from focusing on the purity movement into the realm of desire. And you had shared with me in one of our previous conversations about a, about um, a parishioner within your congregation yes. and how this was a huge paradigm shift for you in ministering to her. Yes. She was a good friend, became a good friend. She was 50 years old, getting married for the first time. This was a massive celebration, not just for her, but for the entire church. Everyone was so excited for her. And... Um, and she came to me one day and said, Angie, you're my friend. You're also my pastor. And I want to know what you think God thinks about my fiance and I having sex before we're married. As I thought about that, that is a fundamentally different issue and a different question for me than when a 16-year-old girl, boy, is asking, what does God think about sex before marriage? And as I tried to reconcile the two, it took me on a journey of asking the question, what is marriage in the first place? We hear the phrase, the biblical view of marriage, a whole lot. I hate that phrase with a vehemence. Yes. So I, I get what what kind, loving, compassionate, wonderful people are saying, what they mean when they say that phrase, but we have to find a different way of talking about that. I get what kind, wonderful, loving, faithful people are trying to say when they use that phrase. However, it's too simplistic. They are referring to Adam and Eve and that covenant relationship where a man will cleave to his wife, leave his father and mother, and begin a new relationship and a new life. Mm -hmm. However, the other views of marriage in the Bible are horrible and <laughs> abusive. And we have multiple wives that no one is willing to talk about. We have women being given as a prize to her new husband um, as the, the result of a victory in war. We have women being forced to marry men because the men raped the woman, and, and that's suddenly all made right by marriage. And what we think of now as marriage, and truly what is marriage, is, is a product of the state, meaning you are married when you sign a piece of paper, have witnesses and an officiant sign this piece of paper. So okay. marriage in our society is defined by a piece of paper. As a pastor, what I'm most concerned with is the covenant that is being made 
in whatever kind of ceremony the couple chooses to have. Um, I help them craft that ceremony. I help them focus on the covenant that they are making, not just between each other, but between them and God. That's what is primary for me. Okay. So when I think about my 50-year-old friend who was planning a big, beautiful wedding, what was primary was the covenant. And that was made outside the scope of the signing of a license and a piece of paper. That was actually made outside the scope of whatever ceremony they were putting together. Now, the ceremony is the outward and visible sign of the inward covenant that they made, and I find value in that ceremony. I don't find as much value in the big party afterwards, but, um, but that is, that's part of the celebration and the solidification of, of, this, um, of this covenant. So for me, marriage is about the covenant. And when we separate the two, then I can also say that a 16-year-old does not have the capability because of an unformed frontal lobe, because of a lack of experience, and I don't mean sexual experience, just life experience, to truly understand and internalize what a godly covenant looks like. She's not ready to live that out yet. Right, mm -hmm. right. But your 50-year-old friend. Absolutely. My guess is already had been living that out. Absolutely. That's what I believe. Now, that's not true for all 50-year-old couples. I'm certainly not saying that, um, that promiscuity is godly in any way right. because that's outside the scope of a covenant. Right. And so it's not marriage that you have a beef with. It's that phrase, biblical view of marriage, because that could mean any one of a number of things. Yes. Not all of prefer, which are healthy. I would prefer that we talk about the biblical view of covenant, which is more inclusive of the entirety of our, our love story with God. Okay. So biblical view of marriage shortens the idea um, is, is not so much dismissive, but it doesn't, it doesn't include the complexity that I believe God hopes for in our committed relationships. You know, the entirety of scripture is the story of covenant, the covenant that God made with God's people um, early on is expressed in Genesis 12, 1 and 2 with Abraham and goes on to talk about this covenant being lived out with the Israelites and then the covenant being made new in the coming and revelation of God through Jesus Christ. So covenant is the primary message of scripture. Okay. And when we apply that to our relationships, then we can then ask the question, well, how is this covenant lived out? And I believe that our sexuality is a huge part of living out that covenant that we make between um, between two people and God, or the covenant that is made between two people and God. The freely sharing of one another's bodies, the yes. trust that is built, the passion and pleasure that is cultivated. Yes, so the intimacy. The 90% of Christian people who arrive at the altar on their wedding day with all this guilt and shame about the fact that they have already had sex with each other, you're basically saying there's no place for that at the altar when co the covenant, when all of this took place within the context of a covenant, yes, because it happened before the ceremony doesn't make you a hoochie mama. 
Is that what yeah. you're saying? Correct. That's what I would, I would say that people can enter into their public covenant free of guilt and shame um, because we can recognize that the covenant was solidified between the two people and hopefully between them and God before they ever reached the altar. We have a cultural approach to relationships and marriage and sexuality that may be biblical and may not. Yes. And, and we can't just classify the whole saving sex until marriage as the only biblical way. That's what I hear you saying. Am I correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. And so talk to me about the word inclusive because I read it in your Christmas card just last night and I thought, oh, I love that word. I just, there's something, it represents something very beautiful to me. And then when you were talking about when you went to Arizona from Texas and it was a more progressive yes. community, um, more inclusive, um, what does that word mean to you? Let's talk about the evolution process from being on the extreme right to gravitating more toward the middle. Um, of just going from being more conservative to more progressive. Let's talk about confessions of a recovering conservative. For <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, yeah, I mean, the West is certainly different than the South and different from the Midwest where I live right now in the Kansas City area. Um, and God has brought me on an amazing journey of, of, I, of opening my eyes is what I would say. When I went to seminary and the church that I served in while I was in Dallas, and read the Bible a certain way. Not completely literally, because I don't think that anybody does that. People might say that they do that, but, but we all um, have some- gouges out their eye to keep, the, to keep it from making them sin. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yes. Um, so, so that was where I was when I was in seminary, and that was in the mid-90s. Then I moved to Tucson, Arizona, and people did not read the Bible the same way. And I had a, a mentor who did not write, read the Bible the same way. And he too had come from a more conservative background um, in Mississippi and going to Asbury Theological Seminary. And so we both kind of had similar journeys. He was just 20 years ahead of me in mine. So I learned to read the scripture with a more critical eye, um, not critical as in bad, but doing um, always taking into account cultural context. And so I would say that the primary learning uh, that I have gleaned throughout these years is that context is everything. 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 Exegete instead of eisegete. Eisegete, yes. Those, um, those are two of my favorite high dollar words. <laughs> and what I want to do is to read um, with the, always with the context in mind. And when I do that, it opens up the possibility for different outcomes. Right now, the church that I, that I serve, um, I'm one of many pastors on staff, it is a church that, that we say, and the pastor says, is for thinking Christians. So Christians who maybe have been spoon-fed lines that they have held onto deeply 
their entire lives because it's what they've been taught. And most of the time, certainly not all of the time, but many of the times in more conservative circles, we are taught not to question and to just take what the pastor says because the pastor's always right. Mm -hmm. Personally, I don't want that pressure as a pastor. Um, I'm the pastor who will far more often say, well, let's wrestle with this text together and let's consider the cultural context. Let's consider um, in the United Methodist Church, we value scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Let's take all of those things together and see how God uses the gift of our mind's ability to reason and how God can use um, the experiences that we have had over the entirety of our lifetime and valuing those experiences to bring us to the point where we are today. When I talk about um, inclusivity, what I mean is that God's church, God's kingdom is open to all people. Um, Regardless of. Pardon me? Regardless of. Regardless of sexual orientation. Regardless of gender. Uh, Regardless of self-perception. Regardless of race was a question not too long ago in our history. Right. Regardless of whether you were slave or owner was a question in the Bible. Right. 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 Regardless of all of that. um, We, in the United Methodist Church, assign the word inclusive Um, especially right now at this point in our history where the question of how we will be in ministry with people who are in same-sex relationships, um, that 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 population and that discussion has the corner on the market of inclusivity, but it's a much bigger question than that. Um, And I understand the United Methodist Church has a big vote coming up in February of 2019. 2019, yes. And it will be, um, it will be, it'll be what it'll be. (laughs) And, um, and there are many people who think that the church is going to split. There are many people who think the church needs to split. Um, I'm a big fan of the United part of our United Methodist heritage and believe that that in respect and in God's grace and in the leanings of the leadings of the Holy Spirit, people can let can exist on either end of the political spectrum or the theological spectrum and find value in the other because we are all God's creation. Yes, there's room for the yin and the yang. There's yes. room for the liberal and the conservative and the progressive there's room for all of us all of us john pavlovitz says a bigger table we just need to build a bigger table yes (laughs) yes so have you come up against tension or pressure or resistance or criticism from christians for taking a more middle ground or more progressive view of scripture of sexuality of all that well, we'll see, because this is the first time I've really spoken publicly about my beliefs. Okay. And what I look forward to, um, I am I'm 98% sure that I'm going to enter a doctor of ministry program to really flush this out in a scholarly way, hopefully doing some research on what our messages of abstinence have um, done inside the church. And, and I think a bigger issue that hopefully will come out of this doctoral of ministry program is a more holistic way to talk about sexuality in the church 
rather than myopically focusing on homosexuality, um, we, we don't talk about what a healthy, mutually respectful sexual relationship looks like for Christians. We don't talk about the Song of Solomon and the beautiful passion that's contained there. If we talk about it at all, we talk about that as an example of how much Christ loves his bride, the church. Well, no. Solomon is not about No. (laughs) No, I mean, it certainly applies to that. But I did preach on Song of Solomon once, and I will never forget at the end of that, an older gentleman, probably in his late 70s or 80s, walking up to me with tears streaming down his face, saying to me, thank you so much for preaching about that. Sexuality has been such an important part of my relationship with my wife, and I've always felt that the church thought that it was bad or shameful, and I just couldn't get my my mind around how something that was so important in my relationship with my wife for like 54 years, he said, could have been shameful. But because the church had never um, had never acknowledged the sexual part of his marriage as important and beautiful and vital and life-giving, this man had walked around with shame his entire marriage. Oh, and, and I guess it's his wife right? Oh, of course, of course. And it just broke my heart. And I was so thankful that I could offer that gift of life to him. Absolutely. And absolution in some way, as if he needed that from a pastor. Yeah, I, I've heard that pastors will only preach on the Song of Solomon if they can wear a paper bag on their head because <laughs> it should be wrapped in plain brown paper. Yes, yes. <laughs> but assuming that Song of Solomon is about something else besides sexuality, because there's no way that the Bible would talk about just that it has to be an illusion of, uh, or an analogy of God and his people. It's like, no, it's intended to be a celebration yes. of marriage and sex and all yes. of, you know, of passion and pleasure and romance and pursuit. Yes. And that the Bible overall, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I had a mentor who's like 40 years older than me. He explains many years ago, he said, Shannon, people try to interpret the Bible as an end-all be-all book on every topic under the sun, from mathematics to sexuality, to science, to social policy. And he's, there's no way it can be read as that. The only way that the Bible can be accurately and truly read through the lens that it was intended to be read through is seeing it as a revelation of God's character and nature. Yes. God's character and nature is all that it's intended to be about in his pursuit of his people and his desire to have a relationship with us. Yes. I, and I, the, the Bible is a love story about a passionate God who pursues God's people and, and lives that out and creates beauty in us and, and calls us to create beauty in the world. Yes, absolutely. And so my mentor always said the Bible is not meant to be a scientific book. Right. It's not a scientific manual where you can look up in the index, what does the Bible say about? X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yes. But yet we read it like that out of ignorance for yes. years, if not decades. Yes. So also in an attempt just to ward off the nasty grams, yes. ask you this question. When we use the expression um, abstinence, can I clarify and say abstinence only education, because I know that there are some people that they choose to be abstinent prior to marriage 
for for many different reasons. Yes. And I celebrate that. Absolutely. I, I, I was married to someone who made that choice and I celebrated it with him and yes. you know, made that choice within that relationship with him. We're not saying that abstinence until marriage is un no ungodly or or unnecessary for everybody. We're simply saying that abstinence only education is insufficient. Yes. Do you agree with me on that one? Yes, and I would take it one step further, and I would even say that abstinence-only education within the church is, is harmful and not representative of the totality of Scripture. It's a sliver. Yes. Of what's in Scripture, but only yes. a sliver. And yes. ignoring the whole rest of the pie. Yes or misinterpreting what's in the rest of the pie. Yes. And trying to apply that to our, to our everyday lives today in a completely different culture. Absolutely. And, and what we can say too, is that different people read scripture in a different way, in different ways. And that faithful, committed Christians can read two passages, can read the same passage of scripture and come out with different readings and different interpretations. And I don't believe that that means the Holy Spirit is talking to one of them and not the other. I believe that our God is big enough right. to speak into the lives of people all over our world. Yeah, it's not that one is right and the other is wrong. Right. Or that one is godly and the other is worldly. I remember a conversation that I had with a pastor way back when you and I first met. And she was around the same age as I was. So she was newly ordained. But she said, she was single. She said something along the line of, Shannon, abstinence is, you know, chastity is a gift that not everyone has. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? Like, the Bible calls all of us to the same figure. There's no way, no way. And now here we are 30 years later and oh. apologize to her for judging her. Right. She was just being authentic with the with her reality of she did not feel, she felt a call to ministry, but she did not necessarily feel a call to chastity. And now yeah. I understand what she was referring to much better than I could have back then 30 years ago with those blinders on my eyes. Yes. And now we have to acknowledge that as United Methodists, when we are ordained, we take a vow of celibacy and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. So, so I, I believe that as United Methodist pastors, we make that vow, we live up to our vow. Yeah, she no. wasn't Methodist, she was Lutheran, so I'm not sure if Lutheran Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you certainly opened your own mind um, to all kinds of conversations around this topic. My guess is that you feel a lot more confident shepherding people and ministering to people. I do, and walking people. alongside them in, in their struggles, in their joys, in their celebrations, and in everything that I profess to know I always want to say with a genuine spirit of humility, I could be wrong. I, that, that God continues to speak to me and I want to continue to be open to the leadings of the Holy Spirit in my life um, and submit to that every moment of every day. Walking alongside, of pe alongside people's lives is a huge responsibility and awesome joy and I am thankful to God every day that this is where God has called me to be at this point in my life.
Mm -hmm. And my guess is, is that you feel a lot less judgmental toward people. And oh, infinitely. Loving and supportive. And mm -hmm. uh, my guess is that you wear God's name tag really, really well as a result of this oh. conversation that you've had of just coming away from the far right and, and finding a healthier place in the middle. It, doesn't the Bible say avoid all extremes? Can we apply that here? Can we? Can of course. And apply it of here? course. <laughs> Well, I love you, girl, and I'm excited about your future studies and uh, your hopes and plans to develop a healthier sex ed curriculum that covers more of a whole life model rather than just while you're a teenager model. Yes. You can really be a huge part of changing culture in the, in the days ahead. Well, I hope that's how God will use me. Me too. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Shannon. All right, Angie. Wow. Um, I first, I just want to say how refreshed I am to to hear commentary from another denomination. And I know it sounds cheesy because what well, for me, for me, it sounds pretty cheesy that like, what, why have I not considered what other denominations have thought about sex before? But um, I don't know why it just mattered. And hearing this is just, wow, refreshing to me. Well, I was just going to say we get isolated in our tradition. Um, even if that's like a non-denominational group and yeah, it's very easy not to hear what other, what other denominations and other traditions have to say about something. It's been really interesting, Nate, how you had kind of stepped out of your spiritual tradition, but then felt the draw back in later on. I kind of have the same relationship with the United Methodist Church. I was raised in it, but there was a period of time in my 30s and 40s that I had kind of stepped away from that in search of something a little bit more structured and more like just show me where the lines are and I'll try to color inside of them type of a thing. But as I have continued to mature and now I'm in my 50s, I have learned to really appreciate that tradition of Methodism that really teaches you how to think and how to look at your own experiences with God mm, and with lovely. life and to extrapolate spiritual principles from that. Because I don't think that God intended for the Bible to be the end all be all of our relationship with him. I think that we have a living active relationship with him in the current day and age. And so there's obviously going to be things that we experience or dilemmas that we face temptations that we might face that the Bible might not even speak to. And we have to have that active relationship with God to continue living the life that we want to live. So um, yeah, the whole concept of open minds, open hearts, open doors that the Methodist church has ascribed to, I have come to really, really appreciate that concept of just keeping an open mind and listening to people and understanding where they're coming from and the value that they bring to the table with their own life experiences. Yeah, yeah, and and Ryan, tell me if this sticks out to you also. Just hearing Shannon and Angie talk as women, <clears throat> and the perspective that they brought to to the rose ceremony. Um, I mean, I I've always saw the rose ceremony from the guy perspective, um, and and hearing how they were sharing how as women they feel they feel less perfect um, is like. For a man, all that stuff sounded new to me. Like, how did that, how did that sit with you as a man when you heard that kind of stuff? So 
we we center the male voice and center the male gaze uh, when we talk about sex, and that's focused on how the man perceives the woman. Like I, I it's all the conversation because I men usually the conversation, and so it's all about it's all in that direction. And the energy is going that way, and so the focus has been um, on. Um, how the woman presents herself, how she keeps herself pure, or how she keeps herself this or that. And then when it comes to sexuality and sex, it's a, how the woman turns on the man, how the woman um, uh, how the woman is able to sort of uh, rise to the occasion for sex. And so when... And so for most people in religious circles, that's that's the, the default framework. So in this conversation and conversations like it, when you have two women who are are not carrying shame baggage into a conversation to talk about theology and sex, it's really refreshing because it's not a it's not a conversation where the, the man is central. It's where a woman's desires and feelings and affection for each other can be centered does that make sense did that answer your question that probably didn't answer your question no no it does it does it it makes perfect sense like you know when when they were saying things like for them how it felt like how you know women are the givers and men are the the takers um it's it's making me i just didn't think about it from that side from that perspective and i didn't realize the type of damage it would have left you know, all I knew was restraint. For men, it's like restraint and 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 the yeah. That's I, I wish I could say more about that, but just hearing them talk about um, how the rose ceremony affected them was was just new to me. I, I didn't open myself up to that possibility. Well, and this idea that somehow women break, or women are fragile, or women are forever tainted. By sexual contact or sex, by sexual behavior, like that whole that whole idea, we sort you know men's we have invented so that as a means of control of women, which that is completely the opposite of how to cultivate a warm, intimate, mutual sexual relationship with somebody, right? I was going to say feeding her that or or buying that and then sharing in that with her. That is that is setting yourself up as a man. That is setting yourself up to have it bite you on the ass later, because to tell a woman that your sexual energies, you know, aren't holy or not pure. I don't want you to cause me to stumble and fall. Don't wear anything that would, you know, cause me to lust after you, et cetera, et cetera. Like you are setting her up. It's like she's being programmed to be asexual. Don't be feminine, don't be desirable, don't have desires of your own. And then men wonder why they get into marriage with a woman who turns out to feel relatively frigid. Hey, this is Ryan. I have to stop the conversation right here. We are out of time, but we'll pick up with frigidity and fragility in episode 11 when we talk more about talking about sex at church. Um, you can follow us on the Instagrams and on the Twitters at touch underscore cast. Find us on Facebook. You can go to our website, touchpodcast.com. Listen to uh, all of our episodes, even from season one. Uh, read essays, see videos, and interact with me or Nick.
Nate or Shannon. This has been Touch Podcast. I'm Nate Navarro. This is Ryan Clark. And I am Shannon Etheridge, and we love you for listening. <laughs>